Good day, everyone. Today we have my brother, John Nehemiah Harper. John Harper currently serves in the office of the president at South Central College as the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and as the Interim Director of Admissions. He holds a degree in Political Science and a Master's Degree of Educational Leadership and Administration from Minnesota State University in Mancota, Minnesota. John has experience in college admissions and is passionate about access and equity within higher education. At South Central, John actively works with academic deans and faculty to examine policy, procedure, and assessments with an equity lens. He recently was accepted into Morgan State University and will begin his doctoral program this fall. It is an honor to interview my brother, John uh, Nehemiah Harper. We talk about a lot of things from the hashtag Black in the Ivory to uh, classical music. Um, we talk about racial battle fatigue. We talk about the protests in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We talk about privilege within mass media. We talk about a lot of different topics. Um, so thank you for listening. And thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy this episode. What's up, John? How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic, man. I appreciate you for contacting me. Yo, hey, it's such a pleasure to have Mr. John Harper on today. Um, I'll start right out with this uh, question. Um, I'm really big into uh definitions but i'm really more into how words are used um especially in comparison to words that are very similar and so how do you define the word protest oh man that's fantastic and uh, i actually got my minor in english so i tell people i said i can't spell to save my life but you want to have a conversation about languages dialect you want a 20-page <laughs> paper in a week i got you covered um but so when we talk about the word protest you know let's break that down pro meaning for um meaning uh pro professional you know short for professional just just overall meaning for or going in a positive direction right or going in the direction of a certain type of way or a certain type of form that is advantageous towards you and then i, I won't break down tests because that can go you know left right round or indifferent so when we talk about protest uh, for me personally, it has a couple of different meanings and connotations. Um, to protest for me personally would mean to stand up for something that you believe in or to go against a certain uh, establishment or a certain thing and or entity uh, that is uh, not advantageous but uh, puts you at a disadvantage against something that you honestly and truthfully believe in. And that makes sense. So, you know, you see uh, the people protesting, right? We can talk about the Protestant movement, right? Where they were protesting all the different things from the church in England and Great Britain, right? We can talk about the uh, protests in the civil rights movements, right? I could be in class and saying, I am protesting this exam, which I've done uh, throughout undergrad and have subsequently gotten into a lot of trouble for. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so when we talk about protest, uh, that's just one definition 
that I think is kind of widely understood and recognized, um, although I could actually rebuttal that and challenge my own notion of that given the current times that we live in in this country. Uh, how, would, how, would you do how would you do so? Oh, that'd be real easy because when people think of protesting as of right now, and let me not say people, there's a certain group of people um, even globally and within the US that when they think to protest, um, they think like uh, you're attacking their quote unquote civil rights, right? There's a, another group of people out there that when they think of protest, they think of the extreme absolute worst. They think of violence and all this other stuff, right? And so the very notion of saying, I'm standing up for something that I believe in because I think it's wrong, that bothers people. And they don't associate protesting and its historical context with fighting for civil rights and civil liberties. They assume that if you're protesting, you're an anarchist, right? And you're going against the establishment and you're trying to cause problems for everybody else. So there's a really big disconnect in this country from what people relate protest is, what they're seeing as protest, and what they're associating the word protest with. I have another quick side question. So how would you differentiate protesting with rioting? Um, you know, it's easy to say that they're synonymous. Uh, it's easy to say that one has absolutely nothing to do with the other. Um, I think when we talk about the English language as a whole, it is supremely subjective. The rest of the world will say English is the most jacked up language possible, and they're kind of right, you know? <laughs> we have, we have there, there, and there, right? And most people to this day cannot differentiate between those three theirs, right? Or, you know, they might make a mistake. Um, but, <laughs> For me, there's a difference, you know, um, Dr. King, and you'll find that I actually quote Malcolm X more, but Dr. King has said, and I think everybody's seen that quote more, that writing is the voice and, and or the language of those that are uh, being unheard, you know. Uh, Malcolm X said, we are nonviolent people with uh, nonviolent, you know, agendas and different things like that. And so when we talk about protest and we're talking about not necessarily going against the establishment, we are talking about groups of people or individuals or a thought and idea that uh, rebuttals the way things are. And typically it's for what we consider to be an injustice, right? Mm -hmm. Rioting takes it a step further where it's like you have this group of people that have said, we're talking to you, we're trying to get you to listen, we're trying to get you to understand, but you're not listening, you're not listening, you're not listening, you're not listening, you're not listening. All right, let me break something because you're not trying to hear me, right? And that is boiled off of not necessarily anger and frustration, although you have a right to be angry and frustrated depending on its proper context, but that's the way this country is set up. There has been nothing that has happened in this country without some form of violence happening to somebody, a group of people or somewhere. The women's suffrage movement was birthed out of violence and most people don't understand that. Right, like go back and research some of the things that they were forcing these women to do, the women that were working, like how they were putting these machines in their mouth to hold their jaws open and shoving eggs and concoctions down their mouth, you know, because they were protesting to get equal rights and equal wages. And so they said, we're not gonna eat. And so because they weren't eating, that affected manufacturing. And so what they did was a violence towards the people, right? Like you, you can go to, um, almost anything in this country. And so when we talk about rioting, 
it has a very, very interesting context because most of the time rioting is associated with damaging property. I actually had a fantastic conversation with one of my white colleagues, um, God bless her soul. And she was asking me about, you know, me being from Minneapolis and actually being up there. She's like, well, why are people rioting and burning down their neighborhoods and doing all this other stuff? And I said, would you rather they come to your house and do it? Would you rather they go after actual people and harm people? And I said, let's be clear, uh, property can be rebuilt. Anything can be rebuilt. What typically happens is when stuff gets burned down, quality land development, AKA gentrification comes in, buys it for a cheap price, you know, after insurance is paid out and then rebuilds it, makes it better and pushes out the people that they wanna push out. You know, you see that all across the country. And I said, so when you see these things, let's get one thing clear, it's not everybody. Just because you see a crowd of people walking in a certain direction and something gets caught on fire, you can't actively say that's the entire crowd. You don't associate the quote unquote government or the current administration doing that. If the president of the United States, right, wrong, or indifferent, comes out of his mouth and says dot, 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 do we say the United States feels this way? Or do we point to that one person? Right. And so what happens a lot of time is rioting gets associated with a group of people that are doing things when really it's only two or three people that may be causing things, right? You know, especially here in Minneapolis, I've been out there with the people, right? This is my home. This is my city. I grew up five blocks away from where George Floyd was murdered. So for mm. me, like I'm there, I have friends and family that still live in the area where George Floyd was uh, murdered. And so when some of the rioting started, you know, a lot of it was just five to 10 people. The rest of us were just trying to make a point saying this is not right. Wow. You know, we need changes. We need laws. We got to go look at policies. Something has to change, you know? And so I tell people, I said, Dr. King was out there marching and protesting, doing all this other stuff and stuff got burned up, right? But no one associates him with rioting. It's interesting how we pick and choose as a country who we want to protect. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that that is, what is that political, uh, what, what's, the, what's that term called? Political? Uh, I should know this since I have a degree in political science. Oh, oh. <laughs> It's like it's like politically correctness. Correctness, yeah. Like, politically correctness, right? Yeah, we'll we'll crucify like, and love Martin, but we will crucify Malcolm. And I was just like, hey, so if we talk about their careers as activists, Dr. King went to jail quite a few times, and Malcolm never did. Just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> I mean, yo, Malcolm, like Martin went to jail at least twenty twenty five times that 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 we know of. Right. And, and we have to also keep keep in mind that Birmingham did not keep the best track record of who they who they had in their in their prisons. And in they, their, still and they still don't. They still don't. Still um, don't. Be, because it's privatized by, by, by white corporations. But anyway, so why, why is protesting important? Um, protesting is important because there's a lot. So I'll put I'll, I'll phrase it like this. There are a ton of unheralded and unknown men and women in our legal system, in our communities um, that are also celebrities. Some of them are celebrities. Um, some of them are just everyday people who recognize that an injustice one place is an injustice every place, right? But you never really hear about those people that have been actively trying 
to do the work. It normally takes a tragedy to spark a movement or a protest, right? Protesting becomes important when the people that have been doing that work haven't been getting anywhere. They haven't been getting listened to, right? And George Floyd's murder was tragic, but let's be clear. We've had at least over a thousand George Floyds before that, right? Philando Castile was, it again, in Minnesota, Falcon Heights, on, on Facebook Live, I might add you, right? With the woman that he was with and his daughter in the car. But that wasn't apparently egregious enough to make things happen. So protesting becomes important because nobody wants to look bad, right? Politicians hate looking, nobody, right, nobody wants to look bad, right? Like athletes don't wanna look bad. Nobody is out here, well, let me not say that. There's probably a few people that are out here that look bad and just don't care. But nobody goes outside and wakes up in the morning, puts on their shoes and says, you know what, I'm gonna go be a jerk today. I want to look like the worst person possible. No one does that, right? Cartoon villains don't even wake up in the morning and say, I just want to be super bad. Typically, if you're looking at a cartoon villain or any villain, there's a reason or a rationale behind what they're doing, right, wrong or indifferent, right? It could be twisted, it could be wrong, but they have convinced themselves that this is what they're going to do, to do what? To prove a point. So protesting becomes supremely important because there's people that are doing the work that aren't being recognized. But when people start protesting, the first thing they start doing is calling for city officials. They start calling for mayors, governors, lobbyists, legislators, senators, right? Then they start community leaders, church folks. They start putting the pressure on them. So a lot of it has to do with public relations, right? It's, a lot of it's PR. The mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Fry, um, who I've had the opportunity to talk with and meet on a couple of different occasions, really good guy. He's taking a beating right now. <laughs> He's in a PR nightmare, right? Like everybody has seen it. Nobody wants to look bad. So then it becomes, okay, these people have been saying this stuff. How much more is going to come from this, right? There are people outside of the White House protesting. Well, the White House is a fortress. You can't actually get to the White House, right? You got at least a good you know, about the size of a football field in length before you can actually get to like, you know, the front of the White House. Gates, all well protected, different things like that. So a lot of it has to do with PR. So protesting is important because it not only brings awareness to a situation, but it puts pressure on the people that can actually make a difference. Yeah, um, I, I had just um, quoted Bernice King which mm. which was the only um sib well, she, she was the only child of Reverend Dr. King Jr. and Curtis Scott King to actually follow in his footsteps of preaching. And she had just she had just tweeted yesterday, she said, the work is offline, the work is online, the work is presence, the work is strategic absence. The work is virtual. The work is in the streets. The work is in legislative halls. The work is in art. The work is in po policies. The work is at the polls. The work is where we are. How would you, how would you respond to that? She's 100% right because um, 
to quote a hip hop theologian, I'm quoting Nelly, but anytime I'm <laughs> quoting like, hey, I know, right? Hip hop, you can, you, can, you can use that, a hip hop theologian. Um, he said, if, theologian. yeah, but hip hop theologian, if all work was easy work, then work itself would be worthless. Mm. And I think where the disconnect becomes for a lot of people is that they start doing the work and then either want to hand it off to somebody else or they don't know how to temperance that work with rest and redirect it. You know, we had a town hall the other day and I was talking about mental and emotional health because it, because let's be clear, racial battle fatigue is real. Um, look it up if you don't know what it is. There's, I can't remember the uh, professor's name. He's a professor at the University of Utah, but he's kind of heralded racial battle fatigue. And I heard him speak at a graduate studies conference and it was eye opening and mind battling because it's like, that's exactly how I feel. And a lot of us as people of color, especially African-Americans have racial battle fatigue. And the problem is, is that there's always going to be work that needs to be done. Like work is not going to stop. Like work literally will not stop until you take your lap for you personally or anybody listening to this until you take your last breath on this work, there is always work to do, whether it's social justice, social reform, whether it's within your sphere of influence, especially within your sphere of influence, there's always work that's gonna have to be done, right? Like, yes, it's really good to know and understand the past, because without the past, you'll, you know, you're gonna repeat history and different things like that. But if we talk about work in the present and we talk about specifically work in the future, that's never going to stop. Because the work that we're currently doing right now in 2020, is based off of all the stuff that didn't happen in the past. It's not gonna be for another 20 years that they're gonna look back on 2020 and be like, okay, there's some stuff we gotta fix from 2020. You're always, right. you're always consistently playing catch up, which is exhausting. So you have to protect your mental health, you have to protect your emotional health. But uh, what Dr. Bernice King said was correct. You know, the work is present, there's advocacy work, there's always going to, there's always gonna be work to be done. Work doesn't yes. stop, right? You may be able to take a breath, exhale, you know, give, gather yourself, get your composure, but the work never stops. The grind. What did Nipsey say? The marathon continues. It's Yo, like we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not in a sprint. And I'm going to try and run. <laughs> this ain't the, six, now, this ain't the 60. Nipsey. Go ahead. I said, I said this, ain't the six, uh, this ain't the 60 meter dash. This ain't the 100. This right. ain't the 200. This ain't even the 400, right? This is... This is longer than the Boston Marathon. This is like the this is like the four hundred high meter high meter hurdles, right? <laughs> That's how long and okay. arduous and how much work this is going to take, right? This is okay. a decath this is a decathlon. This is on some Olympic mm -hmm. global type stuff. You gonna right. be working at this for years. I th I think that the person that you were referring to earlier was William A. Smith. Is that his yeah. name? Yeah, he, yeah. He is the associate professor in the Department of Education, Culture, and Society and the Division of Ethnic Studies at the University of Utah. I just wanted to look that up just in case somebody wanted to um, read more of his work um, <clears throat> on the microaggressions and on racial battle fatigue. Um, I would like to go to like the next question. Why, why did John Nehemiah Harper decide to protest? Oh, so we got to go way back with that one. 
Um, like I said, I'm, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, 612. No, not one of them nice suburbs like Edina or YZ. I'm not from Richfield. I'm from Minneapolis. I grew up on 40th and Clinton, went to Washburn High School, look it up, right? Got to shout out my city. Um, for me, I guess a lot of my awareness and activism started when I was in middle school. During my eighth grade year, literally maybe like three weeks before you know, completing my eighth grade year, I had two teachers, right, who I actually very liked, you know, they were white, but I liked them. I went to a super diverse middle school and something crazy happened to me. About three weeks before I was about to complete eighth grade, um, the English, because I'm not going to give their names, um, the, I was in the English teacher's room. She got a phone call, right, picked up the phone, kept looking back at me, just kind of nodding her head, had this like smirk on her face. I really didn't think anything about it. She goes to the phone and says, you need to go down to the geography teacher's room because you didn't complete an assignment, da 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 I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm in eighth grade, right? Like I'm 13 years old, not really thinking about anything. Teacher says I need to go somewhere, fine, I'm gonna go somewhere. Leave the class, go down the hall, get to the geography teacher's room and this lady starts screaming at me, yelling at me, and uh, the person I was doing the project with, he was just kind of sitting over there like, yo, I don't even know what's happening, dog, but like this lady's mad. So she's yelling at me, screaming at me, talking about I'm not going to graduate and all this other stuff, right? And so I'm looking at him like, yo, what's up? And he has no clue what's going on. And she's like, both of you are going to fail. Neither of you are going to make it past eighth grade. And so I was like, what? I was like, yo, chill. Like, what can I do or whatever? And so after going back and forth with her, she basically subsequently tells me that I need to go get my stuff from the other teacher's room and then come back. So I get my stuff from the other teacher's room and I'll, I'll speed up the story and then I come back, right? And she's like, so you're gonna crawl from here to the other room. And so I'm like, bump that. Like, I'm not doing this, right? Like, it's never gonna happen. Like, I'm like, not. Like, literally crawl? Yes, I will find the article. It's still out there somewhere. What? You know, inter internet, internet don't die. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll find it to you and I'll try to send it to you. And so at okay. first I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I got some other classmates that are like, dude, just go ahead and do it. Get it over with. Like, you know, we, we about to go on and do bigger, better things. And I look, at, I look at the dude and he's like, he's looking at me like, I can't make this decision for you, but like, please just make this happen so we can get through this and be done with it. So I'm like, fine, whatever, right? So I'm getting ready to do it. She's like, no, you're going to do it when I say do it. Now, mind you, I'm 13, right? Something what? in me should have okay, said. Okay, hold on, wait, hold on, slow down. <clears throat> so what year was this? 2003, 2000, 2003, 2004, right? Two, Eighth grade. Because I, I, gra I graduated in 2008. Okay. And this is 2000, this is 2004. It's 2004. It's it's May of 2004. And you're and 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 you're in what um what school? Wait, was it 2004? I I graduated 2008. So sorry, you, I'm like my my internet whacked out for a minute. So I graduated 2004. I started high school. I mean, I graduated 2008. I started high school fall of 2004. So yeah, this is like May of 2004. So. I'm like, fine, whatever, right? I, I know a lot of people are going to be listening to this like, I, ne I never would have did it. And I always tell people, I said, never say what you will and won't do until you're actually in that situation. It's something that I've learned in my 30 years being on this planet, right? A lot of mm -hmm. stuff that I said I'd never do, it's like, 
oh, I kind of, I get it now why people do some of the, some of the stuff that they do. Right. So the bell rings and she's like, now you can do it. So shout out to um, Mr. Larry Hawkins, right? Mm. Um, he, he passed away a few weird, uh, no, no, no. His name wasn't, his first name wasn't Larry. It was Mr. Hawkins, right? He was one of like maybe four African-American teachers at my high school. I mean, at my middle school. I'm like halfway. What's the, what's the name of this of this middle school? Susan B. Anthony Middle School. Wow, it's classed after Susan. Okay, so what's the, the, the irony of going to Susan B. Anthony Middle School? What city is it in? Minneapolis. Wow, okay. you can Google that joint. Google that joint right now. Right, right. Okay, that's Southside. That's Susan B. Anthony. It's still there. That's um, the irony of going to Susan B. Anthony Middle School and this young African-American man being on his hands and knees crawling. So about halfway through, wow. getting to the other classroom, Mr. Hawkins comes out. Mr. Hawkins sees what's going on. And Mr. Hawkins is like, he just looks at me and he looks disgusted. And I'm like, dude, you're not about to help? <laughs> and so bell rings again. He says, get up. Looks at me, shakes his head. He goes back to his classroom, right? So I'm super embarrassed. I'm not thinking about it. Weekend comes. Knock on my door Sunday afternoon. I'm in my room. I'm like, it ain't my house. I ain't about to get it, right? I lived with my grandma at the time, me and my mom. Grandma opens the door. And he's like, I work at Susan B. Anthony Middle School. Can I come in? I'd like to talk about your grandson. So I don't come out. <laughs> Cause I can hear kind of what's going on in the right, other room. Like, uh, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay in my room. Yep. So my mom comes upstairs, right? So they're talking. Then you know, in that super black mom boy, she calls me out. So he basically says, "This is what I saw." Da 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 da. Hope y'all do something. He packs up and leaves, and I'm like, "Dude, wait, what I was trying to." He basically says, "I hope you guys choose to do something. If you need oh, me, okay. I will testify because I saw everything. All this other stuff, right?" Okay. So he's being an advocate, but mind you, I'm 13 at the time. All I can think of, why are you here? <laughs> right? Like, I'm trying to be done with this situation. You bringing mm. up old stuff. Like, why are you bringing up old stuff? Mm. So, rightfully so, my mom and grandma, they get legal help. They call the school. Things go left. I spend the next two and a half weeks just miserable. Right? I spend two and a half weeks being miserable. It gets to the press. It gets to the paper. I got to go to court. Like, all this stuff, right? And mind you, we're in, Min we're in Minnesota. These are two white women. They got a lot of friends, especially in the teachers' union. Mm. Boy, that summer was miserable. I had people, like, sending us hate mail. I was getting into fights because like students were like, oh, them teachers loved you, you fake, all this other stuff, right? Not so much from black folks, but from a lot of white kids, right? And their mm. families, like my mom and grandma being ostracized. And so like, my mom was like, if you kind of want to go spend your summer with your pops, you can. I was like, say less. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up leaving in like end of June, early July, Eerie. right? Just. So I'm out in Baltimore just hanging out because I was like, I ain't trying to, I'm good. Like, I don't need to go. My brother came out to hang out with us. Like, I'm just going to hang out here in the East Coast. And so from that moment, I challenged the system. Like, I challenged my teacher. I got in so much trouble. 
I challenged my teachers in high school. Um, my HBCU helped me respectfully challenge professors, right? So going to Historically Black College and University definitely helped uh, shift my thought process and thinking for the year that I was actually able to attend an HBCU. Life-changing alter. I will always promote Historically Black Colleges and Universities because there's no place like it. Yes, I went to North Carolina Central University, Eagle Pride Amplified. Uh, 10 minutes down the street from where Duke University is. I don't care about no Aggies. We don't rock with A&T. It is what it is. But part of the reason <laughs> I went to NCCU is because I wanted to go into, uh, I wanted to be a lawyer. Because my ultimate goal was to be a lawyer, mayor, and then the governor of Minnesota. Because wow. it's like, I'm go that, that was my goal as a, as a young man. Mm -hmm. And I'm still a young man, but like, you know, coming out of high school, that's what I wanted right. to do. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, perfect, bet. I got Duke right here. The NCCU Law School is right here. I'm a dude, mm. right? Life happened, right? Mom got sick, grandma got sick, came back to Minnesota, ended up going to Minnesota State University, Mankato, did a lot of challenging the system there. So for me, when we talk about why protesting matters to me and why it's important, it really goes back to, I can't stand injustice, right? The concept of fairness is interesting because when we talk about what's right and what's fair, it can become supremely subjective supremely subjective, right? What's fair to one person may not seem fair to another person. That's part of the and, reason and like, why- And we, like, that's where, that's where equity comes in. That's where equity comes in, right? Um, it's one of the things that I get to do in my role working for South Central College as the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. You know, I just met with one of our uh, departments within health sciences and I said, hey, you got some stuff you need to fix, right? Because it's not equitable. This is your current process, which wasn't really a process of how people got into this particular program. It was supremely subjective, and we were noticing that a certain group of people were being targeted. And some of it was inadvertent, but it was also like, this process doesn't work. So we revamped the whole joint. So now they have a process where they can't look at names and just assume. They actually have to do the research and digging when these people submit their applications. And for me, that was important. So when we right. talk about equity, the work is important, but all of my decisions and me protesting came from that one moment in middle school. I ended up finding my voice through tragedy, right? And that, unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do, right? There's a movement right now that um, I've been blasting all over my IG called hashtag black in the ivory, right? Ivory being short for ivory tower. Mm -hmm. And it's about these medical professionals, these uh, educators, these entertainers, you know, or just African-Americans in everyday life where they've had these horrible experiences and these microaggression type experiences on their jobs where it's like they've had people come up to them in medical school and be like, oh, well, I'm glad to see affirmative action worked because like you got you got the spot that my friend couldn't have stuff like that. Right. Black in the ivory. And so for me personally, protesting matters because it works if it's organized well. And what the media didn't show is that these protests in Minneapolis were very well organized. They had a plan, they had a purpose. And what was burped out of protesting was not only uh, police reform, defunding the police, like that's all well and good, that's policy. But what came out of it is a community that historically has never come together. You know, there's North Minneapolis, there's South Minneapolis. Northsiders really don't mess with Southsiders, but see us in the street and you're not from Minneapolis, it's a wrap for you. <laughs> Cause we Minneapolis, right? It's just what we do. And like, you know, people will say like, you know, oh, well that's very tribal. It's like, eh, society as a whole is tribal by nature. Won't, we don't have time to dive into that. 
But what you saw birthed out of these protests that were supremely organized and well thought out was a community that came together and healed itself. There were more people, like literally, uh, you, you go to a, what were community centers designed for, right? They were supposed to be resources for people to go. They ended up becoming recreational centers, which is all well and good. But everybody formed their own community centers in strategic parts in between North and South Minneapolis, where you can come get food, supplies, protection, wow. um, help with everything, right? Like they had educational, and this is people giving their time, energy, and resources for free. They had educational stop points where it's like, you have a question about the middle school that you're going to. Have you potentially thought about this particular charter school? Hey, you're struggling right now with food and finances. Can we help you for free and show you how to manage your money correctly? Um, you had your business burned down. Here's some supplemental income to help you get through this transitional period. And you mm. saw about maybe 50 to 100 of those places throughout Minneapolis, right? The city of Minneapolis only has about 370,000 people. So you're talking mm. between North and South Minneapolis, all of these different stop points and community events and community activisms. And then it went a step further from the community standpoint coming together and healing itself. It allowed everybody to understand what's going on in the city as it pertains to policy, as it pertains to your rights as a citizen. What should you do when you are actually stopped from uh, stopped by a law enforcement officer? Do you have a right to legal counsel, right? Just all of this incredible type things. And all that stuff is still going on, but the media wouldn't show that. The media wanted to show everybody screaming Black Lives matter and black lives do matter right people wanted to show stephen jackson coming in because uh, george floyd was his friend yeah that's all well and good but what they're not showing is all the other stuff right when have you known people to go to a state capital consistently and on the steps of the state capital on the front line of the state capital and then those of us that were actually able to go into the state capital and meet with these senators lobbyists and legislators to get some of this work done it has not happened. And so protesting is important because literally it's important for the sake of it being important. Well, like, period. Yeah. Like one of my questions later on actually is, was, um, do you, do you, and I don't, I don't want, I don't want to put out the idea that all journalists or all people that work for mainstream media are not there for, for the right reasons, um, or not, or, or, or are not working for the right reasons. Um, but my question later on was, um, uh, has mainstream media and news corporations reported on protests accurately and how so? So you're, you're kind of, you're kind of talking about mainstream media and their, um, her, their selective projection of yeah. what's actually going on at protests. So if you could just dive more into, you know, what's being shown and what's not being shown, especially in Minneapolis. Absolutely. So at all times, doesn't matter what city that you're in, when you are dealing with quote unquote media, media have to report to somebody, right? Fox News is this way. Uh, MSNBC is this way. CNN actually leans more this way, but they call themselves trying to be in the middle. And then you have your local news and media outlets, right? And so if you get a really good investigative uh, journalist reporter, that person's life is on the line, period right? 
people that always try to report actual facts do not get press and do not get airtime because media is a corporation. You know, they always talk about that R word ratings, right? Used to be this thing called sweeps week where it's like, you got to have, you know, primetime lineups, you know, because when we talk about ratings, that's how people get paid, blah, 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 blah. So when it comes to the recent events that have happened in the state of Minnesota and the city of Minneapolis, I took great issue with the CNN network because at first they were doing a terrible job, right? They were just trying to get headlines as everybody was, right? Everybody was just trying to get headlines. And um, I think I deleted this video off of my phone, but I watched it where it was at one of the night protests that, you know, I did not attend. And this CNN reporter who I believe was either Polynesian Maybe he was um, indigenous or, uh, or uh, Latinx, right? He just kind of leaned towards somewhere. Like he, he was pretty beige, right? And there's this group of Ethiopian and Somali students that are walking and protesting, right? So they got the camera and he, he's walking up to them. And he, the first question he asked was, why are you out here protesting? He was like, you know why we're out here protesting? This is not just about George Floyd. This is about the injustices that continue to happen to black people. And we will continue to march until the entire world sees that we, uh, that this nation has a problem. And then out of nowhere, the reporter starts taking digs at him personally. Now, there's no way the reporter knew this person, right? So the reporter starts asking him, I don't want to say invasive questions, but starts asking him questions that don't pertain to the protest. Like he started like, and I'll never forget this. The reporter was like, well, what makes you think you can make a difference, right? You're just a kid. He said that. He said that, right? So literally he was saying that I'm going to invalidate what you're doing right now. And that type of line of questioning continued. But where did you see the switch in CNN? When one of their own got arrested. Mm-hmm. Now, now let me ask you this question, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about the press. They have to wear their credentials, right? Local people know you got to wear your credentials. You just can't be out here doing random stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're subject to whatever happens to you. So all the press has their press credentials. And you saw Don Lemon talk about it. They were out here reporting at a night protest. There's like six reporters for CNN. This African-American dude has his credentials on, gets arrested. Now, all of a sudden, after he gets out, I thought it was hilarious, right? Like, say what you want about Don Lemon. Um, it was funny because Don Lemon and that reporter were having a conversation. The reporter's like, I still don't know why we were arrested. And Don had this look at him like, dude, you know why you were arrested. You, you, just, not- <laughs> you just don't say it out loud. Like, and I think a lot of us as African-Americans had that point when we were talking to this reporter. But Don Lemon mm-hmm. used to be like that, too. Used to be like that too. I said, I, I said people he's, forget. He's like, changed substantially. I said Don Lemon switched his whole thing up like within the last three years. Let's he's changed. He's changed a lot, just like Ben Carson changed. You right. And like after after the whole you know movie on Ben Carson, Ben Carson changed substantially. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. Ben Carson has been saying some of the most idiotic things that a black person could ever say, especially with the history of Ben Carson. Um, and I think that Don Lemon, Don Lemon has, has done a 180, just like, just like, just like that. And I tell people, I was just like, it's very, I'm gonna read you this quote. Privilege is when when you think something is not a problem because it's not a problem to you personally. And we didn't see Mm -hmm. the switch with Don Lemon until 
comments from an administration affected him personally. We didn't see that? I, Dude, it was on a poster at a protest. Oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> anonymous, anonymous, anonymous. It was literally anonymous. Like, I, I would love to give credit uh, to this person. It was on a post, like, literally, like, probably can't see it, but. No, 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 it's cool. It's cool. It was cool. on a poster. Don't worry, don't worry. It was on a poster. And so I think it's very interesting that, because everybody has a certain amount of privilege to a certain extent, uh, but getting back to the point, you saw a change in how CNN was covering everything after it affected one of their own. That in itself is privilege, and CNN didn't acknowledge that, right? Because my boy, my boy Ernest, who is a phenomenal photographer, right? And he's also a pretty good DJ too, right? I'm just gonna plug that out there. Uh, Ernest is a really, really, really good guy. Ernest has been out there with his camera, right? And so we have the video and it's still on Facebook. Facebook didn't take that video down like they did other ones where at a night protest on Washington Avenue where Highway 35 is, biggest highway in the state of Minnesota, Highway 35. Ernest is out there. The cops decide we're gonna shut this down. Rubber bullets, tear gas. They try to start rounding because curfew was in effect, right? They try to start rounding everybody up. Ernest is with the CNN news crew. They go into a garage, shut the garage, try to hide. He's streaming this live on Facebook. Garage opens. Come out with your hands up. Feed cuts off. Ernest gets detained. Gets out at like two or three in the morning with a citation. Right? But CNN was there and CNN has that coverage. It's just interesting what happens to media when it doesn't affect them personally, right? So the larger news media corporations, they're super subjective, right? Um, Fox News is painting a narrative this way. MSNBC is painting a narrative that way. CNN is painting a narrative this way. And even within the state of Minnesota, some most, and I'll, and I'll give the state of Minnesota credit, most of the news coverage has actually been pretty accurate, like with our local media. Keyword is most. Not yeah. always, but most of it has been accurate. Well, most keyword of is local to me. Local, right? And I tell <laughs> people, but you got to hold your local stations accountable. 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 Where I live at in the state of Minnesota, uh, in Minnesota, I live in a town called Mankato. It's about, you know, 90 minutes outside of where the metro area is, right? My job is here. Wife and I, kids live here. Cool. Um, there's this paper, right? And I'm not going to say which paper it is, <laughs> but there's a paper here and they were talking about some of the protesting that was going on between the city of Mankato, North Mankato, St. Peter. They're all within like 10 minutes of each other, right? Like small town, Minnesota. They're talking about all these different things and they were giving quotes from uh, myself and other people. And I had to go up to the news station and said, this ain't the quote. And they were like, oh, well, we trust our reporters. I was like, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, I got the recording of that interview on my phone. Mm. Your person misquoted me. And if that's how you want to play it, that's how we can play it. Right. And so they ended up doing a small retraction, right? And I do mean small, like this big. But they retracted it. You gotta, I tell people, I say, you got to hold people accountable. When news media show, shows up and they say, hey, can we interview you? You got to be ready because it happens. I had that happen. I was at the George Floyd Memorial uh, three days after it happened mm -hmm. because I had to go home. And it was during the day. Um, our local news station up in Minneapolis, Care 11, showed up. Mm 
You know, my boy Tommy was out there with the microphone and megaphone. Literally, while he was talking and speaking, I was the one that announced that they arrested uh, Chavez or Chavez. I already pronounced that dude's name. Right. That they took him into custody. <laughs> so I mm -hmm. shout that out super loud, right? Everybody's clapping, cheering. Uh, but we had some churches out there. There was at least about maybe 200 people at the memorial during the day. Care 11 shows up. And they're like, can we interview you? I took a deep breath and I was like, yes, right? And so what I made sure to do is record the whole interview on my phone. Yeah. And then when they reported it, it was accurate. So I didn't have to have a problem. Because when I got home to watch it, I recorded what they reported on my phone. You know? And everybody was like, we saw you on the news. Da, 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 da. I was like, yeah, it's well and good, but we got work to do. Right, absolutely. So, so, so protesting hey, so like, is important. How do, how, do you, how do you prepare to go to a protest? And, like, I don't mean uh, materials. Like, I don't mean, like, you know, clothes, you know, masks, things like that. I'm talking about spiritually, mentally, psychologically. How do you prepare Yo, to protest? I, I warn people. Um, any work that you do, there's a spiritual implication with it, right? If, if you're an athlete, if you're a, a celebrity, a politician, like all of this stuff affects your soul. You may not think it's affecting your soul, but it affects your soul. And so there's a certain level of self-awareness you have to have about yourself, especially physically, but there's a certain level of um, emotional wherewithal and spiritual wherewithal. You got to be ready because, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And when you see these injustices, that's spiritual wickedness in very, very high places, you know, different things and uh, forms and mediums like that. So you better be prayed of, right? You better be on your hands, your knees beforehand. And then beforehand, I don't mean like five minutes before you hop out the car to walk with everybody else. I'm talking about daily preparation, morning, noon, night, you know, whatever, uh, suits you and your schedule and the day before I'd say physically whether it was winter time or summer water is your I don't understand why people hate water so much like you like bro you and I were talking before we started recording like why do people hate water like 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 you need to drink it right I don't you understand need, like, like first of all like once I found out that water is most of your body I was like okay I need to have clean water and then second of all like I you know I didn't have eczema or like any breakouts until I graduated high school. And right. once I graduated high school, whatever, how all these, you know, pimples on my face and all that, and plus clean on my face, all that stuff. And literally water was a game changer. Like it cleared, I mean, I'm talking about irritation, dryness, uh, the hyperpigmentation, everything. Water is like a key. And then also hydration. I'm from Vegas, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's dry heat. Like, people keep telling me on the East Coast, oh, well, I don't like community. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, well at least y'all have water in y'all air. Like, like you, live, you live in the middle of a desert. And, 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 like, and like, what's crazy, look, look, I'm not a fan of, 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 of high humidity either. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, the 120%, 110%, 100% humidity, that's, like, like icky sticky. Um, however... I'm also really not a fan of dry, desert, heat stroke, musty, crusty, wrinkly, ashy, dirty, stinky heat. It's, it's, it's horrible. Y'all don't want to have that in your life. So, so drink water and stay hydrated. Now, I'm not really a big fan of, 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 of waters like Tasani and Arrowhead. Those are nasty to me. Um, 
And I think Fiji is kind of overrated. You know what I'm saying? Just get you, just get you a, a, a water filter. Just get you like, like a Brita water filter. Save money. Save plastic. Okay. Even if you recycle. Okay. Sometimes the garbage men don't really even be recycling like that. So, hey, get you a water filter. Save, save waste consumption. You see what I'm saying? And right. You have clean water right there for everything, for your food. And then what's crazy is people get mad at me for like drinking water out of the faucet like out of out of uh out of like the bathroom faucet but you're using the bathroom faucet water to brush your teeth you're still you know what i'm saying you're washing your face with that water like you're doing the same so it's you know what i'm saying like if you if you can't drink the water facts <laughs> with, then is that really clean water you see what i'm saying right so my thing is, yeah, um, but no, water is extremely important. And I, th- and I think that that's, that's one of like the major things that somebody, that nobody has talked about on this podcast so far is what, when it comes to taking care of yourself when you're going out to protest or even when you're inside of your protesting, even when you're protesting in other ways, like writing, mm-hmm. researching, with teaching, with learning, with, with uh, advocating. Um, even when, when you're like writing your letters, you're, write, you're, you're writing your emails, all that stuff. Um, Still, like when you're doing all that, it's really good to stay hydrated because it keeps you focused, it keeps you energized, it keeps you cl- keeps you clean cleaned out mentally and physically. I mean, even when it comes to the um the electrical path paths that, that are going in your mind, they they run smoother when you're when you're hydrated. So like even when, when you're when you're when you're when you're when you're not hydrated. You can't even think straight. Like just scientifically speaking, you have a you have a tougher time, you know, thinking, thinking straight, and even and especially thinking critically. See what I'm saying? Maybe right. I spent like too much time on water. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, because 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 I, I know we got to wrap up, and we got to go and different things, uh, like that. But there's the spiritual component of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. There's the physical component of it. But I'll say I'll say this: one thing that I've had to learn more so recently is that it's okay to disconnect. Right mm-hmm. now, we're getting a lot of information and we're getting a lot of it super quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, I, I'm like, <laughs> I can't remember who said it and it might be a, it might be a scripture, it might be a proverb. Um, the eyes are the gateway to the soul. And mm-hmm. what, what most people don't realize is that you tend to become what you consume. And most people think about that in the terms of food, which is absolutely true, right? Um, but mm-hmm. they don't think about it from a spiritual standpoint, and then they don't think about it from a mental and emotional standpoint. So if you're on Instagram, Facebook, IG, and you're out there protesting all day, every day, 24-7, nonstop, well, that's what you are currently feeding your body. That's what you are currently feeding your soul. What doesn't get talked about is the mental implications and the emotional implications and the spiritual implications of that. And one thing that I had to learn during this entire process and ordeal that I've never been able to do is let myself know that it's okay to disconnect for a time, right? You have to take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And most Mm -hmm. people hit two out of those four, right? They rarely Mm -hmm. hit all four, um, especially simultaneously. Like somebody Mm -hmm. could be in great physical shape and have a, uh, and have great like emotional prowess. It doesn't mean they have the mental capacity to process everything that's going on. Yeah. Um, nor does it mean that they're processing it well spiritually. spiritually and so yeah. one of the things that I always try to tell people uh, when I talk to them, especially when we talk about going out there and doing uh, social reform and advocacy type work is that you have to take care of yourself. 
it's okay to unplug. If you're not on Facebook for a day, because most people are in that weird spot right now where it's like, I'm doing all this work, but I'm exhausted and drained, but I don't want to say that I'm exhausted and drained completely mm -hmm. out loud because then it's going to make me look fake. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. It means you're an adult and it means you're a human. Right. And so, and so one thing I had to uh, do for Even myself. Jesus and, had, had, had to go. Oh, to that man was still, how many times that man still away? <laughs> right. How many times did the son of God be letting you read in the scriptures like, and he left for a period of time or, and then he went to go pray. It's like, dude, I get it. Jesus had all the people in the crowds pulling on him, tugging on him. He was like, you know what? I need a minute. I need a minute to go right. reconnect with my father. Right. I need a minute to gather myself and gain my composure. And that's something I've really had to learn how to do. And so like recently, like the last, I want to say four or five days, I haven't been consuming anything on Facebook. And mm. it's like, I'm on IG, but like, I'm looking at funny memes and kind of different things like that. Because why? Because I need to unplug for a little bit because it's been nonstop. It's been going, 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 going. When we did the uh, town hall last Friday, you know, I got on there late. Part of it was because, yo, I was at the Capitol doing stuff. Like, like literally the legislator was trying to figure out, hey, are we going to put this whole defunding police thing to a vote? And they mm. said, yes, we're putting it to the vote. And now that's going to be on the ballot in November. But there were a bunch of us pushing lobbyists, having meetings and texting senators, making phone calls, literally right outside the state capitol. And some of us were in the state capitol trying to do that work. That takes a lot out of you. You know, like um, I tell people, I said, you better have a strong support system or you better have a, a positive outlet. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I tell people, I said, I don't get into if somebody wants to drink, if somebody wants to smoke, that's between them, God and their conscience. Right. That's not that's not for me to decide whether that's right or wrong. But I tell people, I said, be careful about anything that you do and be careful that it doesn't become a vice. Be careful that you don't become super dependent on it and be careful mm -hmm. that it doesn't end up ruling your heart, mind, body and soul. Because I've seen people mm -hmm. do it. Because we think of alcohol and drugs as those being the avenues and mediums down a bad path, right? And most of the time, that's not even the case. For other people, it could be like you're lusting after somebody, right? For mm -hmm. other people, it could be, or what do we call them? Toxic traits, right? Don't I said you got to be careful because you will develop toxic traits if you don't know what you're doing as it relates to protesting and this advocacy work, right? For some people, their toxic trait could be snapping at somebody all the time, right? And now you develop a habit of becoming mm. supremely defensive, mm. you know, and just going, because you're always on the offensive and all you're consuming is everything that's on the offensive, right? So that ends up create, uh, making you supremely defensive, right? And unapproachable and not talkable and all this other stuff. So you gotta be careful. You, uh, hobbies and hangups are real, right? So whatever outlet you have, like for me, I had to make the decision that I can't let my family be that outlet because if my family, if I'm doing all of this work and then I'm coming home, I'm depleted. I'm drained. I'm not being a good husband. I'm not being a good father. Right. And that's a problem. They're getting the leftovers. And so I had to shift my focus. My family should never be getting the leftovers of anything that I put my hands to. They should be getting the first fruits of that. Mm -hmm. So in order to get the first fruits of that, I had to find a couple of different outlets, right? One of my outlets is writing. I love reading poetry. I love writing poetry, different things like that, right? My yes. wife, like, yes, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. It's what I do. Hopefully by my 31st birthday, I'm going to have two or three poetry books that are uh, working on self-publishing. Two or coming three? Out. Okay, sir. Two or three. I got a lot. Dude, I've been writing since I'm like 10 years old, right? Let's do it. 
like 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 I've been writing since I was ten years old. So writing is uh one of my outlets. My wife laughs at me because I didn't realize that battle rap had become an outlet. And my wife had to say, she was like, you really like battle rap. I was like, it's poetry, it's creative, all this other stuff. She was like, it's an outlet. And I was like, yo, I do be kind of listening to battle rap while I'm playing 2K trying to detox. Interesting. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. <laughs> right? Like, You're crazy. I'm like, different, di- different <laughs> outlet. I said, but different outlets, right? Like, I'm finally back in, the, my gym opened back up. So I'm back in the gym, right? I can take all the equipment that I took from my college and give it back. <laughs> Everybody was like, how do you have a gym in your garage? I was like, yo, I'm not gonna lie. I just, I, I took it because I needed it. <laughs> Man. My gym's back open. So now it's like, yes. So I have these different outlets, right? Like right. I love listening to- Healthy, uh, healthy outlets. Healthy, healthy outlets, right? I, I enjoy listening to classical music when I work. Oh you know? man, what? Uh, Actually, I, you know I, what? You know what? I gotta, you know what? I have to send you some of my favorite uh, 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 black slash African complaints. Please, please. Because cause I used to listen to a lot of, you know, you know, uh, Mozart. Mozart was like my guy. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I either listen to like Coppin or Mozart. But now I'm really getting into people like William Grant Still and people. Ooh. And so I'm gonna get you into into that, you know what I'm saying? Some of okay. the best, you know, composers, like 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 better than Quincy Jones type of composers to be, you know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, there's this guy, I don't know if you use Spotify or Apple or Apple Music. Apple, Apple, Apple Music. Like there's this dude on Apple Music called, I think his name is Paul Freeman. I, I, I think his name is Paul Freeman. He had did a a series of compos of of uh he did a series where he had only played black composers and like like not 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 recent like like right. we're talking about black composers that were alive at the same time as Mozart that was literally like traveling the world just like you know Douglas was like like Frederick, like Frederick Douglass right. was back in the day I think his name is let me see his name is uh let's see black composer I. I don't want to give the wrong information, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's. Yeah. 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 So he has this series. Yeah. He has these. This, it's called the Black Composer Series. And it's by, it's with the Lin, the London Symphony Orchestra. But they, they had the Paul Freeman Black Composer Series. And so there's there's multiple CDs. Every CD okay. has a different black composer. I feel like the, the last few of them have multiple. I'm telling you, it sounds better than Mozart to me. You know what I'm saying? And I rock with Wolfgang Mozart. Yo, so I'm gonna um I'm gonna send you this guy I really like by the okay. name. I, you probably listen to him. Um Shaku Kene Mason. I probably have to see the name right now. <laughs> I'm I'm, li- I'm just gonna send you the playlist right now, right? Cool. Um yeah, I I, I, I rock with this dude. I, I, rock, I rock with this dude a lot. But yep, help, and it's something I try to tell people. Um, healthy outlets are going to save your life. If you have a support system, oh, yeah. now is the time to lean on that uh, support system. Um, you know, there's people that I can call and talk to, and there's people that call and talk to me. Um, one of my best friends, uh, his name is Elliot Nelson, a fantastic individual, mm. um, a marketing wizard, and genius um he's married he has a beautiful baby girl um originally from raleigh north carolina really good guy 
Okay. He called me yesterday. And mind you, like, I'm working. We're all working, right? But I know if he's calling me during the middle of the day, my brother got to talk. And so we literally talked for like an hour and a half on the phone. That's just what we do. You know, because I know it's not an everything, it's not an everyday occurrence. It's not a weekly occurrence, right? People, mm-hmm. you got to have people you can lean on and those healthy outlets and those healthy um, avenues are going to save your life. You know, you got to refresh and you got to refuel. You got, you got to feed your spirit with something yeah. that's going to keep it going, not what's going to drain it. We live in a consumer type society and mm-hmm. we are consuming 90% of the time and refueling 10% of the time. Well, that don't work for cars. That don't work for planes. That don't work for phones. What makes you think it's going to work for you? Right. You know, because your body will respond. Your body will break down. It's going to respond positively or it's going to respond negatively. And most right. of the time our bodies respond negatively. And you want your body to respond in a positive form and positive fashion. Hey, man, I don't want to take up all your time. I know you have to run. So hopefully we can do a part two where I can ask the rest, the rest of the questions to you. Oh, we got plenty of time next week, dog. I thought next week was going to be crazy. I looked at my calendar this morning. I was like, oh, man, next week is going to be a blast. I'm actually going to be able to get work done and I don't have to go to this meeting and that meeting. Like, yeah. And, you know, like next week, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask Mr. Mr. John Nehemiah Harper, one of the, one of the best advocates, not just for this, for the state of, 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 I'm sorry, Minneapolis. Ah, see, that's that, that's that West Coast. You said, you said Minneapolis. You said Minneapolis. Everybody say, I I tell people, especially when I used to be in North Carolina, say it with me now, Minneapolis. Apple list. I said that. Min- I said that. Minneapolis. I, I said like no. mini and apple list. Kind of like, kind of like it's like Minnie Mouse, like mini and then and apple. It's not hard. It's Minneapolis. Min- yes, Minneapolis. It's not hard. How many? Like Minneapolis. Like it's five syllables. It's five syllables, people. Minneapolis. Like Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like he. Not just for um, Minneapolis, but just just for Black America in general. You know, John Johnny e. Harper has, has been a, a strong uh, leader and I, I would say a servant leader for the African American community. That's real. We had talked about you know how we define protest. We talked about why it's important. We talked about why he decided to protest. And I hope and pray that you guys learn from somebody who actually has been on the ground before, during, and after the killing of our here. George Floyd. Okay? We've been here. What is really going on? What has, what has been uh, perpetuated correctly and incorrectly on uh, major news corporations and also local, local news corporations? I hope that you, uh, you know, have learned something. Reach out to my brother. This is definitely part one because because my man is, is potent and he really explains a lot. And he always quotes Romans 12 and 1. I think that that's his favorite scripture where it says, I it's you actually not. By the mercy of God, that you <laughs> present your body as a living sacrifice. sacrifice holy and acceptable. Which is your reasonable <laughs> service. People like to leave that last part out. It's reasonable. reasonable. So like 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 I I've always been saying on on almost every podcast I've been saying at the end that I believe that we have we have three major reasons why we have to protest hands down. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna close on this note that we have a religious and spiritual obligation. We have a religious and spiritual obligation 
to protest, to advocate for what's right, to fight for the widow, to fight for the marginalized, to fight mm. for the stranger, to fight for those who are oppressed by systems of racism, of white supremacy, of injustice, of hatred. And so <clears throat> that's what Jesus Christ did. You know what I'm saying? And like, and then like, so if you're a Christian, you have to, period. But then also, if, even if you're not a Christian, you have a spiritual obligation just because of our, of, of like the spirits on this earth. Like we are all uh, beings that are created by, by, a, uh, by, a, by a higher entity or a higher being or spirit or however you want to call it. Okay, God, Allah, whatever, like the same, same thing. We are all created by, by the creator to be of service to one another. You know, God is going to look at how we treated one another. You know what I'm saying? But then we also have a moral obligation because when we think about our morality, when we think about humanity, we have to look at each other as brothers and sisters, not just in Christ, but just brothers and sisters that are on this earth um, that need to collaborate and not, and not, undereducate or miseducate we have to inform we have to reform and we, and we have to look at ourselves at a higher standard and understand that sometimes systems need to be broken down and built back up sometimes systems need to be reformed sometimes systems need to be created because 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 uh society has always been imperfect and right now it's one of the perfect times for us to take up the responsibility that god has given us to create substantial change for the benefit of those who are coming after us. So not only do we have a spiritual religious obligation, not only do we have a moral, moral obligation, but we also have a civil obligation. Just as in America, as Americans, like when you're, I believe that if you are a citizen of a country, you have an obligation to care for, to, to not just care for people around the world, but also to, to, to specifically care for marginalized groups that are in your country. So if you are an American that's listening to this, you have a responsibility to look at, you have to look at the uh, Hispanic American, uh, you have to look at the Hispanics who are on the border of America still right now, in cages right now, okay? That, that are living in tin foil, not just, not, not even in huts, living in tin foil right now literally li eating 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 their own you wouldn't do that to your family members you wouldn't do that to your children you, you know wouldn't do that to people that you know but it's okay because <laughs> it's not nobody you know and because look, that's happening right you, now so americans right have now. an obligation to okay if you're living in texas you need to talk to whoever whoever's in charge of like southern texas Whoever, whoever is like the, the district officials, the, 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 uh, the uh, sheriff, all that stuff, you need to talk to them and be like, hey, yo, what's going on down there? Especially if you live, if you, if you live in, in Southern California, if you live in, in Southern uh, Texas, you need to talk to these people. And the thing is, uh, you know, Kurt, Kurt, Curtis Valentine, who is a board member for the, for the Department of, of Education in, um, in, in, um, in Maryland, he said in a Prince George County, Maryland, he said that uh, uh, that substantial, well, I'm gonna paraphrase, substantial change starts local. It always starts local and then it goes global. Like substantial change, the, the change never starts global then goes local. 
it really starts on a local level. So like we have an obligation to know to know our our district officials, to know our to, to know our uh uh sheriff, to know our our our, our representatives and then all local officials. Know, governor to know our lieutenant governor like we have to we have to know these individuals because we have to keep them accountable how can we like how am i supposed to you know uh, quote unquote complain or uh critique some system that i'm not even participating in the in the in the creation of or the or the development of or the re, or the reform of when i have the opportunity to I have the opportunity to vote people in that have a better interest in things that I that I care about. So like that's why voting is important, and that's why we have a we. So I'm saying all that to say that we have a civil obligation, not just to advocate for those who don't look like us, people who are Hispanic, people who are on the border, who are pe people that are Asian Americans that have been beautiful, that that have been very much so looked at uh, completely differently during the during the. Uh, during the coronavirus uh, pandemic, not just black folk who have been marginalized and oppressed for 400 plus years, okay? Not just, you know, <clears throat> Caribbean folk. I mean, there's even African folk that come here that have heavy accents from wh whatever country they come from, from whatever dialect, like, like from like the hundreds of, of, of dialects that are in Africa, and they come here and they are marginalized by our own people just because they sound different or, or, or just because they have uh, facial features or body features that, you know, white supremacy looks at as, you know, not good where white people want to look, look like that anyway. But anyway, so my thing is, my thing is, look, we have a spiritual and religious, and, and, um, religious obligation to fight for our fellow sisters and our fellow brothers in Christ. <clears throat> And then we also have a civil obligation, I mean, a, a moral obligation to fight for other human beings who are, who are being uh, dehumanized on a daily basis. And then also we have a civil obligation in America. If we want this country to be land of the free and the home of the brave, like, like, uh, I, um, I, like my first interview that, that I did was with Justice Hawkins. And literally he was saying how literally he was he was protesting in DC and he would see the Declaration of, of uh, Independence. He would see the preamble. He would see the Emancipation Proclamation written on these buildings while he's protesting and seeing police officers brutalize folk for no reason for peacefully protesting. Preaching. You know preaching. And so, and so literally we are protesting with buildings that have the constitution written on them. And they are still, and then we still have a, we have people that are support, supporting a president that's saying that somebody putting Black Lives Matter in front of Trump Tower is, is. What I always have to remind people from a political science standpoint and from a historical standpoint, and I know we're wrapping up, because yeah. I really, really enjoyed this. And you preaching, brother. That's why I was just listening to you, letting you go. From a historical <laughs> standpoint, when the founding fathers wrote the Constitution, that yeah. liberty and justice for all and for men, they were talking about not everybody. They were literally talking about themselves and right. people that look like themselves. So that, were, that was white men. And so when people say, like, the Constitution was founded for us, I was like, no, it wasn't, <laughs> unfortunately. Mm -hmm. However... Through the notion of our humanity, we have realized and discovered that as it relates to the Constitution, 
the founding fathers got a lot of stuff wrong and there needs to be some much needed change man yo like literally even when we look at the declaration of independence right in 1776 literally <clears throat> the usa did not well first of all they weren't even a country yet okay and they felt like they felt like britain was still over them like they had the war and everything they're like yo we still feel like y'all are in charge of us that y'all are running stuff so we're gonna make a declaration that we are independent from britain and that's 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 literally it was literally a form of a protest like ironically, it was literally protesting against britain's yes. colonization against britain rule against against britain uh being over the usa and so literally like that's why jefferson had wrote it you know what i'm saying uh but anyway so anyway, I didn't mean to go off like that, but I, but like, even though we are like, but like, even though we are, we are, we are uh, exhausted, we are tired, we are, we are, we are brutalized on a daily basis. We, and we see the images every single day that, I mean, not only do we suffer from PTSD, but we suffer from, from uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome. You know what I'm saying? We suffer from things that have been passed down to us you know what I'm saying, mentally, from like, from like, from like parent to child. Then we right. also suffer from systems that have been built for us to suffer and to, and to, and to work for free. And then, but then also- And told to get over it and just work hard. I can't work hard within shackles. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then we also have, uh, we, we also suffer from seeing the images of, of our brutalization and dehumanization and then the, the justification of our, of, of our dehumanization all the time on all, on all the mainstream news stations. And so that's kind of the a portion of why I even started this, this podcast was because I wanted to talk to people that literally have been on the front line doing the work. I don't want to talk to people that that are sitting in their you know multi-million dollar homes, you know what I'm saying, that's just going out and then seeing it in, in broad daylight. So, like and just and then and then and then on top of that, sometimes they're not even portraying what's really going on. They'll show clips of years ago, they'll replay the same clips over and over to 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 like show a certain a certain perspective of a certain protest without really giving like the full context. So anyway. Even though we are suffering from like all these things that are stacked against us, we are still excited because we serve a God. You know what I'm saying? That that gives us the energy and the drive and the focus and the knowledge and the wisdom for us to attack these systems of of of, of, of oppression and hate. And, and the grace, the God-given you know ability to accomplish what we need to accomplish in the earth as it pertains to his plan for us and his word. God gives us so much grace. Oh man, God God gives us grace. Undeserved. Un, I tell people say undeserved. Undeserved. Like, like it's beyond a human being can never understand the agape love that God gives to human beings. Like like that that like I think that human beings ought to always strive to have agape love. I don't think that human beings are capable to even have that type of love for for humanity because it because because it is it is something. It is a level of love that only God can have. You see what I'm saying? Right. To to love people that much is 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 very, but anyway, like James Baldwin said, 
James Baldwin said that he said, I love this country so much that I have to critique her. That's mm -hmm. paraphrasing it. And literally, when the father loves, you love, he corrects like a son. If you love somebody, you know, you, the if, truth. If you love this country, you have to critique what's what's wrong with the country. You have to critique how the country treats Hispanic people. You have to critique how the country treats Asian people. You also have to very much so critique how black folk are treated. Black, black folk haven't been getting any reparations. Black folk haven't been getting any 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 type of mental stability, any spiritual stability. You know what I'm saying? They took away all of our our, our major leaders because of coin pro quo. We really like we really had to start from like our uh grandparents had to start from zero. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody was like assassin or parents or grandparents, depending on how old you are. Like everybody was like 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 was like assassinated or everybody had to had to move out. You know what I'm saying? People like Asada Shakur moved out. People like you know Malcolm X or you know Ahad Malisha Boss was was assassinated. You know what I'm saying? So because of J. Edgar Hoover. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, my thing is, look, we know what we're stacked against, but like the scripture that John Nehemiah Harper said. All right, Romans 12 verse one. At the end of that, it is which is your reasonable service and we have a reasonable service or your reasonable act of worship unto god sorry i said i said or it also translates to as your reasonable act of worship unto god wow you know what that's powerful mm -hmm. and, and, we'll, and we'll dive into that we'll dive into that at the next one that's we, we, deep we, we that's deep because because we literally you sacrificing your body is a form of worship oh man that's deep now because I, I tell people, I was just like, I, I like if we really want to explore that, and and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll close with this. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, right, wrong, or indifferent, everybody is worshiping something. Ooh. Everybody is, like I said, we'll dive deeper into it next Which time. What seminary did you go to? Because uh... we'll, we'll talk about it <laughs> offline. We'll talk about it offline. Um, everybody's worshiping something. Some people worship their cars. Ooh. Some people worship their houses. Some people worship monetary things. Themselves. Some worship, I said some people worship themselves, right? Uh, some people are Hindu. Some people are Muslim and the variations that go along with that. Yep. Some people are Pentecostal, Baptist, Evangelical, mm. Catholic. At the end of the day, somebody, everybody is worshiping something mm. somewhere. So I'm, I'm going to close with that because like I really got to go. <laughs> I'm going to close uh, with hey, that. Said, I'm so excited we'll for there. part. Huh? I said, I said, we'll hit it hard next time. Hey, 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 how can people reach you? Just in case people just only listen to like part one. Hey, so um, best way you can probably hit me up is my Instagram account. It's Nehemiah the Writer. Again, find me on Instagram, Nehemiah the Writer. Um, on Snapchat, it's Nehemiah the Poet. Uh, why they're not the same, I had to like, um, my IG, IG actually deleted my account and I had to fight with them. And so I had to create a new one. So at uh, Nehemiah the writer, Instagram at Nehemiah the poet on Snapchat. And then if you just want to chop it up and talk to me, uh, you could always email me at J O H N dot H A R P E R at South Central dot edu. Right. And um, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Uh, just, just get at me, you know, we could talk. Awesome. Awesome. Y'all. Hey, Nehemiah the Bible was very patient, but Nehemiah was also 
a one of like the best, well, he's known for being one of like the best God-centered leaders. And so my wife, the, my wife is in the background, like doing a happy dance right now, laughing at me, just like for real. Yeah, I'm like she. She's also giving me that look, like, but we do need to go. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So hey, man, hey, y'all reach out to Nehemiah. I mean, to John Nehemiah Harper, my guy. Sure. I'm excited for like part two next week. Um, thank y'all for listening. God bless y'all and love y'all. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with John Nehemiah Harper. Like, subscribe, share, and as always, and most importantly, please reach out to Johnny and Maya Harper via the links in the description. This was my 13th interview recorded on Tuesday, uh, June 2nd, 2020. Um, so just in case some things weren't talked about in this interview that you might have expected to be talked about, um, they were recorded um, last July. But thank you so much for listening and please subscribe to stay up to date. Um, please um, pray for all those who are in need, who are impoverished. And currently um, today, um, there are people who are struggling to find power and to find warmth uh, in Texas because Texas um, is suffering um, from a power outage right now. Um, as I speak, today is... Um, Today is February 18, 2021. So, um, and then we are still, um, we are still fighting for justice for Breonna Taylor. Um, even though Breonna's law is passed, we are still fighting for real justice for Breonna Taylor. All right, thank you so much for listening. Happiness, health, love, and peace.